Tonight's extra late edition of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by the Zone. They have Bellator 222, 222, 222, 222, 222, live from Madison Square Garden. Oh, yeah. Main event Rory, the Red King McDonald, battling MMA royalty Neiman Gracie for the welterweight crown. Another Gracie? Another one. And then we have two legends collide, and I'm not saying their names. Because I'm going to mispronounce both of them. But two legends are colliding in the co-main event. They're meeting inside the cage for the very first time. Fine, I'll try it. Leoto Machada and Kale Sonnen. I think I said it right. It's the most stacked card of the year. All goes down tonight. Tonight. Only on the zone. 10 ET 7 PT. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, the world's Greatest podcast network and the world's greatest website, theringer.com, where you can read all about the NBA Finals 2019, now deceased. Going to talk about it in a second. I have no guests because it's like almost 11 o'clock here on the West Coast. Um, and then coming up after that, Adam Scott. He's in Big Little Lies. He has been in a whole bunch of stuff and have been dying to get him on this podcast since forever. Coming up, we're going to talk a little basketball at the top and then... uh and then a little more basketball, and then a lot of basketball, because I have a lot of thoughts on this NBA Finals that is now gone. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping the very top of this. It's midnight PT. We had actually finished the podcast, and then the news broke about Clay Thompson tearing his ACL, and I just wanted to mention something at the top of this. I, I've never seen anything like this with the, with the basketball team, where you have this half-decade run. We always talk about you know, load management and rest. Is the schedule too long? Um, how grueling the playoffs, how hard it is to repeat, how hard it is to stay healthy. I'm going to talk about injury luck and all that stuff later in the podcast. I don't know that it, when you hear that part, I wouldn't have known that uh, Clay Torres ACL, but I do think the combination of of Durant going down and now Clay with the torn ACL, we, we are going to have to rethink how we do these basketball seasons because this doesn't feel like 100% of a coincidence. You know, the play that Clay got hurt on, he landed funny, it happens. But I also think when when your body's beaten up and you've played a lot of a lot of playoff games and just the level of intensity at these playoff games right now, this has been a topic we've talked about on, on pods for the last couple of years now, where if you watch basketball games in 2019 versus basketball games, in 1977 and 1985 like they it just feels like they play it's 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 just more taxing there's more running there's more everything they're going full tilt all the time defensively they're switching on everything and and maybe the the human body just isn't meant to do this it's it just does not feel like a coincidence to me that durant and clay broke down at the tail end of this run and and I don't know if we want a situation where if you keep a team together for four or five years, it's like the walking dead by the end of it. But with Clay, Clay's a free agent. He, you're going to hear me talking, raving about him later in the pod about, you know, this is a classic Clay game, but um, just the, the, the ramifications of Clay and KD 
going into free agency with major, major injuries is, is nuts. Like even having one of those guys would be strange, but to have two of them on the same team, what it means to the Warriors now where you have this Warriors team, I think they're going to resign Clay. I thought I assumed he was going to resign with them five years. And, uh, and now it's, now it's like suddenly they're almost a non contender. Or if they make the playoffs, they're like a six seed or a seven seed, something like that. And maybe, you know, they can get their act together in time for the spring if Clay's healthy. But it certainly changes the fabric of what that of of what their future is, at least short term. It puts a higher premium now on, you know, if the Lakers can get Anthony Davis about their ability to become kind of an instant contender. It makes it, I think, a little bit easier and more realistic for teams like Denver and Portland to be one move away from maybe being this year's Toronto. It puts more pressure on a team like Houston to decide whether they want to try to keep this together and make a real run in the West if the Warriors aren't going to be the Warriors anymore. Uh, You have to look at the Clippers and what's going on with them and all the cap space they have. And if if Kawhi ends up going there, is that could Kawhi go to the West and suddenly the Clippers are the the favorite in the West? I can I feel like we say this every year, but I really can't remember a season like this or a summer like this where we're going into free agency. I don't know who the point guards are on twenty teams. I don't know where seven of the best players in the league are going to play. I don't know who the defending champs are because we might have a Warriors team that's now like an eight seed and we might have a Toronto team that might be just rebuilding next year if if they blow it up. And everybody's kind of in it and not in it. And you look at a team like the Celtics, who I think it would be crazy for them to mortgage the farm for Anthony Davis. But if the league is going to be this up in the air, maybe they should. So I we're going to be talking about this. Definitely on Sunday night. I need to gather my thoughts on all of it, but I did want to mention the Clay thing, and we're going to talk about Clay later in the podcast. I'm bummed out. Honestly, probably my favorite non-Celtic, and uh, the fact that he went out there and made the free throws with the torn ACL and really seemed like he wanted to keep playing. Uh, kudos to that dude. All right, let's. Uh, we're going to cue this up now. We're going backwards in time. Hop in the time machine. We're going to go back about an hour, 15 minutes, and talk about uh, this finals. All right. It is late here on the West Coast. So this is weird. I I missed this finals game live. This is the first clincher that I missed since I don't even remember when. You might have to go back to the 70s. I've watched every clinching finals game live since I was like, uh, I don't know, probably one of those Sonics Bullets games in the late 70s. I missed it because it was my daughter's eighth grade graduation. She's been at the same school this entire decade since September, 2010. And they have this big ceremony every year and it was on the radar. I knew it was a Thursday. I knew there was a game six on a Thursday. I did not know it was going to be a night affair. And it was a two hour graduation event that started at 7 PM PT. (laughs) So we were heading into like the tail end of the second quarter and this thing was going, it was super emotional. People are singing songs. There's a speech for every kid. And, uh, and I just didn't want to be the guy who was on his phone. Plus it was my kid and I'm sitting in the front row and, uh, it was just bizarre. I, I, I decided I was not going to look at my phone. I did the thing. You had that conundrum when you're at an event where you go, you can either just not check at all 
hope nobody says the score, go home and watch it like it's live. Um, that never works. There are too many people that knew me at this thing and I knew somebody was going to say something. And of course our friend Rebecca, who's from Canada, who's sitting right behind me and who's on her phone the whole time, uh, rooting for the Raptors. And I could hear her like doing little weird grunts and stuff a couple times during the thing. And I ended up starting to check my phone just, just very quietly, surreptitiously a couple times during the last thing. And I could see, oh, Golden State's up. Oh, now Toronto's up. And all I'm doing is looking at the score and and the time ticking away. I have no idea what happened to Clay Thompson. Um, all of a sudden, it's like 111, 110 with 0.9 seconds left forever. And I just assumed Draymond went on a killing spree and got like 17 technicals or something. Or Mark Stevens came back like shooter and Hoosiers and just uh, charged on the floor. I didn't know what happened. It was on there forever. Then it was 112, 110. And then I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if ESPN was. And then all of a sudden it was 114, 110, and it was over. And Toronto is our 2019 champions. I would say, I'm going to start here. So Rusilla's not here. Rusilla went to the game. He Initially, we were going to do like a late, late night Thursday night thing. But then he actually decided he was going to the game. So we're going to catch up with him next week because we have about a million different things to discuss. But... um my initial thoughts, every once in a while this happens where there's just kind of a dumbfounding NBA champion. And I'm even, I'm on the Wikipedia page right now looking at all the finals champions and they're all in a row and a lot of them make sense. And this 2019 Toronto, four games over two with head coach Nick Nurse, it's just bizarre. I just can't get over it. I can't believe it. They they do this crazy Hail Mary trade for Kawhi Leonard last summer. I am a Celtics fan. I did not want them to trade Jalen Brown in the Sacramento pick that turned out to be the 14th pick in this draft for Kawhi Leonard. I thought it was too risky. That was me a year ago. You talk about bad takes. That's way, way up there. Um, I just thought it was too risky. He played nine games last season. He was in a contract year. Everybody thought he was going to L.A., he decided um, to not say anything about signing in Toronto long-term, anything. He's been a blank slate because that's Kawhi. Toronto says, screw it. They trade DeMar DeRozan for him. They are tired of just coming oh so close so many years in a row. They put in Pirtle in the trade. They get back Danny Green. And they just take a flyer on a guy who turns out to be, um, you could say he's the best player in the league. You could say he's one of the three best players in the league. Whatever you want to say. Um, went to another level, was incredible in these playoffs. I think he scored the third most points in a playoffs ever. Now he played 23 games, finished with a 31-9-4, and four, almost 50-40-90. He was just short. He was 39. Uh, he was 49-39-88.5. So he was almost 50-40-90 guy. Not to mention incredible defensive uh, player the entire time, always guarding the best guy on the other team and roaming and doing all the stuff he did. And... Made one of the most iconic series-ending shots we've ever had in Philly. The shot still bounces around the rim. That goes in, and uh, and now they're the Stanley, the uh, not Stanley Cup, the NBA Finals champions. And even the celebration was weird. This was a really weird personality team in a good way. They were just like icy assassins. There was that after Game Four, they showed them in the runway walking back to the locker room, and it was like they had just beating somebody in a preseason game in North Dakota or something. They just had this cool, calm vibe to them this whole time. 
they're basically seven guys, which as I've said before on the pod, I love. I love the seven-man rotation. All seven guys, as Rosilla was talking about the other night on this pod, um, could create their own shot in some way, or at least like be a little bit dangerous. You had to worry about them. It didn't really matter who was good night to night other than Kawhi, but they always seem to have three guys going tonight. Um, obviously, Fred Van Vliet, who you do this, you see this over and over again in the finals where it's the Fred Van Vliet's. Those are the guys that win these close series. You know, you go back, like Dallas, Miami is a good example, 2011. Jason Terry and J.J. Barea are two of the essential guys in that series. This is like the greatest moments of their career, both in that series. 2009, Derek Fisher uh, in game four made not only the biggest shot of the whole series, but was really kind of the guy for, for a couple different stretches. Kobe was not good in game three and he was not good in game four in that series. And Fisher and, and, uh, and Pau Gasol was good, but just, you never know. Posey and House in 2008 for the Celtics when they would go small. It was kind of a small ball lineup before we even realized that those guys are making threes. And you just go on through NBA history. Sometimes, you know, you, you have situations like 2012 where you got LeBron, Wade, and Bosch all together and they're just cranking it out. Mike Miller had a huge clinching game in that. But, you know, I would say it's like two out of every three, it's the best guys in the team are usually carrying it. And then you randomly have these teams like this team or the 2014 Spurs where night to night you don't know who it's going to be. I thought it was very fitting that Siakam had the best offensive game. Siakam was the best player offensively for this team in game one and in game six. That didn't mean he deserved the finals MVP, but he was, they won four games. He was the best player in two of them for them. And then uh, Van Vliet was just immense. He had what was it? 99, 96 with six minutes left. He'd already made two threes. He got fouled on a three, tied the game, um, then made another three late. And uh, with like about 340 left. And that was one thing. Then Lowry, he had 21 in the first half. And then one of the crazy bouncers, there's a, another thing I love about the finals is sometimes you just know it's somebody's year. And conversely with Golden State, you could just tell it wasn't their year, like over and over again, something going on and going back to KD, KD getting hurt, Clay getting hurt in this game. Um, just dumb breaks all over the place. And that Lowry shot, they're up. It's a little over two minutes left. They're up four. Lowry does this fall away, I think 13 footer. Ball bounces straight up in the air and goes in. And reminiscent 50 years ago, actually, Don Nelson, Game seven, Celtics Lakers, the legendary, uh, like a minute left, the legendary crazy bounce shot where he takes this jumper. Lakers have all the momentum. Jumper hits the back of the rim, goes straight up in the air and falls through. And it's like sometimes it's just your year where stuff like that happens. Um, Curry also had a chance to be immortal in this game because you had Danny Green throws it away little under 10 seconds left. And he throws it away. They're pressing. Toronto's up one. Draymond is about to not only foul him, but it's a borderline intentional foul. It's like the last action before he's about to commit a foul. And Green throws the ball and mistimes it, and it ends up going out of bounds. Golden State gets the ball back. They run a really nice play where they actually screwed up the inbounds pass, and it still worked. They had Draymond pin somebody in the low post, throw it over his head, 
he catches it. Toronto rallies to try to steal the ball away, and then he flips it to Curry. Curry got a good look. Nope, didn't go in. Curry was not great in this game. I They spent the whole game just beating the shit out of him, and they had Siakam on him for, for stretches, and just chipping him and making him work, trying to play a pace he didn't like. You think like he he ended up being the last healthy guy in this series for them. You think like I guess Draymond was healthy, but Draymond was really up and down. Draymond had a classic Draymond game tonight. Eleven points, nineteen rebounds, thirteen assists, eight turnovers. Three of them were really truly terrible in the last six minutes. He had thirty turnovers in the finals in six games. Not great. Although Westbrook's like, whoa, that's low. Um, give me a courtesy laugh, Kyle. Come on. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but Curry Curry wasn't great, and this was, you know, I think he's one of the best playoff guys we've ever had. I really do, and he unfortunately has two really bad playoff games in his resume. Game seven, two thousand sixteen, where he they just had a lot of chances to put it away, and he couldn't do it. And then tonight, but here's the thing: Kawhi wasn't good either, and that's the thing we remember with the finals. It's really hard to just be, you know, really good in every game. Kawhi, for the most part in game five, wasn't that good. Then he had that 12-point stretch where he scored 12 in a row and he just took over. But the last two games, he looked like he was running on fumes. Curry looked like he was running on fumes tonight. And the killer, which I can't believe I haven't even gotten to yet, was the uh, the out-of-control bummer of a Clay Thompson injury where you have Clay is verging on... The, the the thing he does every once in a while. And usually it's like a league pass night on like a Tuesday night and all of a sudden on Twitter, people are saying, Clay's got 26 early in the second quarter. Everybody gets excited. He was starting to get in that groove. He hit that crazy three, I would say three minutes left in the third quarter. And uh, where it was like transition, like 29 footer, didn't even seem like there was any chance he was going to shoot a three. And then he does, goes in. You could just feel like it, it started to get NBA jam, like he's starting to turn red. And then gets fouled on this transition play. You know, typical play. He just landed wrong. It happens. And he's walking off. All of a sudden, he's they come out of commercial. He's back. He's shooting the free throws. Then it seems like they're going to play him. And then five minutes later, he's on crutches. But, man, you know, we've seen this happen. I mentioned in the, a couple podcasts ago about the similarities with this team in the 89 Lakers or the 87 Celtics. These te- These great champions that just, just, it's so hard to do this. It's so hard to do this for a half decade and to stay healthy and more importantly to have luck because you need luck to win a title. You do. You need injury luck. You need bounces. You need luck in the sense of one of the best players in the league is just going to become available in a trade. Um, there's You need luck all over the place just to win one. They had a chance to win four and five. And you go back over those titles, 2015, they caught a bunch of breaks, including the Cavs got decimated heading into that finals. But, you know, going back like that Clippers Houston series was weird. It's funny. The Warriors fans are always like, we were three and one against the Clips that year, but that Clippers team was really good. And I think that would have been their toughest series out of the four considering Kyrie and love didn't play that last game. So they got luck that year, 2017 and 18, they got the luck of staying healthy. And you think, all right, well, Part of the reason they stayed healthy was they had so many good players. They had the luxury of not, you know, pushing any of them too far. But it's still lucky just to get through two straight seasons without 
uh, crushing injury. The closest they came was Duran almost got hurt last year and it didn't happen. But, um, you know, you need, you need the great player, which Toronto had, you need luck. You need seven guys. You need some randos. You need like the Serge Ibaka in game seven against Philly, just feeling it. You need Van Vliet over and over again these last two rounds, just turning into this Vinnie Johnson uh, microwave type score. I don't fully understand it. Um, you need like the Marcus Saul, the ability to just be, when he's great, it's a bonus. When he's bad, he still knows where he's going and what he's doing. Like tonight, I don't even, I'm not, I think he went 0 for 5 tonight, but still knows where he is on the floor. And then you need some breaks. You know, you think back to 2013, uh, Miami, San Antonio, the famous Ray Allen shot game where my LeBron misses a three. The rebound goes up in the air. There are four Spurs waiting for it. Wade comes in and somehow tips it away from this group of four Spurs. It hits two other people's hands, ends up going back to LeBron. He hits a three. Comes back down. Kawhi misses one of two free throws. Comes back down. LeBron misses the three. Bosch comes flying and gets it, gives it to Ray Allen, makes it. And then they end up winning in overtime. But game seven which was just on recently. And it's one of my favorite Duncan moments. Duncan has a little bunny over Shane Batty as him pinned with like 45 seconds left and does this little scoop hook shot, like a four footer that he's made a million times. Only at this point, he's probably played 1300, 1400 games. He's on one leg and he just misses it. And then he misses the tip in for it. And then Miami comes back down up to, and you see the wide shot of Duncan running back. And he just, you know, this is a guy who's like, Kawhi oh, never showed emotion and just pounds, pounds the floor because he knew like that was the moment. And I think for this Warriors team, I, I'm not even sure they should have gotten to a game six. I think Toronto probably should have finished them off in game five. You know, as we discussed on the Monday night pod where you're up six with three minutes left at home, that game should be over. Let them off the hook. They did a nice job of coming back and, Almost closing the door, and then Danny Green throws it away, and there's Curry with a chance to uh, to do it. So, just going in order of plot lines quickly. Kawhi with one of the all time twenty three game runs. Um, when we talk about the great playoff runs, there's been a lot of them. I think my favorite one with Bird was probably 86, which I, statistically he was probably a little bit better in 84, but 86, just peak of his powers, just ripping through teams and uh, was really great. But they were never really challenged that year. I think when you have the great run, but you also really get challenged, that's a little more special. You know, I think Duncan, even in 2003, not a great season for the league, but Duncan, they get through the Lakers. Uh, six game series against a surprisingly frisky Nets team that was wired a lot like this Raptors team, unassuming, built around one superstar. It, it seemed kind of improbable they could win the title, and then all of a sudden they were pretty close. And then Duncan put up the it was like a 21, 20, 10, and eight. He almost had quadruple double, and was just awesome. And he was awesome that whole series or that whole that whole playoffs. But this Kawhi run, if you go through NBA history, is as good as any any of the ones we've seen. It really is. And especially for a forward with the standard being LeBron. Um, Durant's had a couple couple good ones in Golden State, but never a start to finish and was never this relied on. 
And I still think the best game Kawhi played was that game seven in the Philly series where they uh, Van Vliet was not uh, had not turned into Vinnie Johnson yet. Abaka was really the only guy doing anything. Lowry was not good in that game, and uh, and Kawhi just gave them every single ounce of basketball in his body. It took thirty nine shots and ended up making the game winner. But that's once they got through that game, I think they were a different team and. You look at this run they had where they, they blow the first two with Milwaukee. They win the next four. They finish this series in six, but really, like, you know, they dominated the first four games. They they won 13 of the 16 quarters. Then game five, they gave away. And then this game, you know, they got some help with the clay injury, but they really should have won. But this, this Kawhi run, I, I'm really going to have to think about, I need a couple of days to think about, you know, where he ranks pantheon wise where he ranks right now it, from a trade value standpoint how many guys you want in the league over him it's the, the list is small he's 27 it felt like he was playing hurt um at least for the for the last round and a half here i did not feel like he was 100 percent. didn't really matter he kind of adapted and did the old slow motion pick to spots kind of game and uh and he's a free agent and you know Kyle and I were actually driving home from uh, from Zoe's graduation, and we were listening to Doris interview people. And Doris was asking him, you know, <laughs> what did he say? What'd she say? What are you gonna? What, what do you have to say to Demar Derozan? No, that was to Kyle Lowry. Oh, that was to Kyle. No, the, oh, to this Ka was Kawhi. Okay, sorry. yeah, Kawhi. He said, uh, it "Was like, what are you gonna do about next year?" And she's like, and oh, he's, he's like, "I don't want to talk about either. that. You know, I just want to enjoy this with my teammates." Then Kyle Lowry's getting interviewed, and Doris goes. How about what do you have to say to DeMar DeRozan? And then Marcus Gasol's getting here. He's like, what about your Memphis teammates? So we were joking about Doris being the sideline reporter at somebody's wedding. And be like, Kyle, you got married today. What about your ex-girlfriends in Poughkeepsie? What have you learned from <laughs> what, did, what did you learn from you your ex-girlfriend in college? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Kawhi thing's remarkable. And the possibility, the real possibility that he ends up a Clipper next year is insane. The guy just won the finals MVP. They're all doing the claw on the stage. And he'd be like, okay, thank you. There's also Maasai rumors going around about, you know, whether he's going to jump to Washington or wherever. But, you know, there's a chance this Toronto team just blows up. And guess what? The Toronto fans don't care. They just won the title. They're delighted. It's the greatest, greatest moment in the last 25 years in any, uh, any Canadian sports team. Yeah. All right, a couple other things. Siakam had a stealth MVP case. I am in the camp of the best player should win the should win the finals MVP. Kawhi certainly did more than enough in this series to do it. But it, it is funny that Siakam was their best guy in two of the four games. Nick Nurse and Masai? You think like uh, Masai making the jump from Denver to Toronto, getting his ass kicked by LeBron year after year, and then um, makes this miracle trade that you know, has to be considered one of the two best trades of the decade. Now I would, I would say this trade's got it. Actually, I would have it number one because they actually won the title. I would have had the Harden trade as the number one trade, but they've Houston's never actually even made the finals with Harden. Messiah makes this trade. They, they win the title. Jesus. So I would have that one. A, I would have the Harden trade one B. And then 1C, I think, I actually think 
It's probably Portland somehow getting Damian Lillard for Gerald Wallace, who was an expiring free agent. I still, I still don't understand how that happened. Thank you, Billy King. Billy King also gave, made that great Celtics trade, KG and Pierce. But you look at the haul the Celtics got for that trade. I mean, that trade doesn't pale in comparison to getting Kawhi and actually winning the title. So Masai go, goes down, and I mean, whatever wherever he goes next is this is one of the great GM performances we've had. It really is. Like that trade won them the title. It was super ballsy. Hanley makes the Gasol trade too during the season. And by all accounts was trying to throw Lowry in it and get Conley too. And that's another winner of the series, the Lowry redemption. Lowry, um, I thought got a little tight in game five, missed a huge three, then uh, got the three blocked at the corner at the end, but has been up and down, has been a frustrating guy to uh to root for and watch because he'll be great one night not as great the next night uh definitely disappeared in some of those cleveland series but man he the intensity that he played those last two rounds um and especially tonight the way he came out got 21 in the first half and really set the tone for them i thought on a night that Kawhi didn't just didn't really totally have it just a playoff guy you know and i think uh He's an expiring free agent, somebody that, you know, they might they might decide to just trade this summer if they blow it up. But the Lowry redemption is definitely a plot. Nick Nurse, rookie coach, wins the title. I'm starting to wonder, like you look at the last Kerr won two, Nick Nurse won one. Tyron Liu during his first season wins. David Blatt made a finals. Spolstra um was a young coach who made four straight finals. Scott Brooks made a finals. Mike Brown made a finals. Avery Johnson almost won the finals. We might overrate coaches a little. I thought Nick Nurse did a really nice job in this series, though. I really did. I I especially love the seven-man rotation thing. And uh, I thought he did some smart stuff with increasing the pace, trying to wear, wear the Warriors out. Some of the stuff they did with Curry was smart. I have no idea why he calls timeouts when he has momentum. That's like his little thing. More power to you, Nick Nurse. You keep calling those timeouts when you have all the momentum in the world. It worked. Van Vliet in the history of random finals, guys. I left out Richard Jefferson in 2015. Shout out to him. Uh, another winner, Clay. I don't think we had to be reminded that Clay was fucking awesome, but I will say, I think he might have the highest approval rating of any NBA player from the other 29 fan bases. Clay's gotten to the point that if you were at a bar and you're talking basketball with three people who you didn't know that well, and then one guy's like, you know, I fucking hate Clay Thompson. Fuck that guy. I think everybody would react like something horrible had just happened. People love Clay Thompson. This added to his legacy. He's an amazing teammate. We knew that already. I've had multiple people on this podcast, Curry, Durant, Steve Kerr, all talking about what a joy he is to have as a teammate and uh, as somebody you coach. He is just an awesome big game guy and has done it over and over again, especially on the road, which as we talked about on Monday night is one of the legacies of this Warriors team. And when he did tonight, like I just knew he was, I actually was more certain that he was showing up tonight than Steph. Cause I think you can take out Steph a little bit. You can, you can do what the Raptors were doing, which is like basically when he's getting over midcourt, just throwing two guys at him and, knocking him and chipping him and elbowing him and doing everything can to wear him out. It's really tough to just contain clay when he's going and he's just going to get to his 30 to his 35. So I think one of the silver linings with this Warriors 
half decade run that they've just had that they're clearly going to transform into a different team, but it'd just be fun to watch Clay and Curry kind of be the guys again and to see Clay unleashed. I do feel like it was like one of those, uh, one of those movies where you only have so many, so many lines and so many good parts for everybody. And a couple of the actors aren't in enough good scenes. It was like, like fast and furious or something where Jason Statham's in it. You don't really need him. And where he could now he's in Hobbs and Shaw and Clay's like that too. Clay should just be one of the two stars in the movie. We're getting that again. Every season has a, that could have been us team. I do think it's Philadelphia this year. And I think the irony of this is the ringer has like 10 Philly fans on staff and they love the 76ers. And we did that Colangelo piece last year that ended up putting their front office in complete disarray. And from the moment they did that, we did that piece and you go back and look at all the moves they made and where they just end up with basically a five man roster and nobody else they could play in a playoff game. And they still come within a hair of beating Toronto in round two with MB being sick a couple games and all the other weird shit that happened. I, I don't know if you, if you computer simulate this series 10 times, there might be a world where Philly wins maybe two of these, two of these titles. Toronto wins a couple. Golden State definitely, if Durant doesn't get hurt. Um, but if I'm a Philly fan and I just watched Toronto win that title and I know how close I was to beating them and breaking them and how hard it was for Toronto to score that whole series, I, that would drive me nuts. So you got that. And then, um, and then speaking of, of things we were, that, that you just kind of go, oh man, I wish we'd had that. I Durant Kawhi would have been awesome. And I and I do feel like we were cheated from that. And this happens from time to time too. I, I still feel like 2009 ended up being Orlando versus the Lakers. The Celtics were awesome that year. I mean, remove my Boston fan hat for a second. This that was the 2009 team was a better team than the 08 team. KG goes down in Utah, and we never see him again that whole season. The rematch of Lakers Celtics that season would have been awesome. By the time we got it, it was 2010. The Celts were older and more banged up. The Lakers were also running on fumes. And they had a series that I know the Laker fans loved it. There weren't a lot of classics in that series. It was it was two older contenders kind of having a slugfest. But that 09 series, I think, just would have been the Lakers with Kobe trying to win a title without Shaq, Celtics back to back, like, and then we were just robbed of it without KG. This happens from time to time. 2015, I think, is another good example. I don't know what would happen if Kyrie and Love had played, but that would have been a really, really, really great series with a Warriors team that hadn't done it on a big stage yet. So um, sometimes this is the way it goes, you know? And you think like this year, we did not get, K we got KD and Kawhi for 12 minutes. It was a fun 12 minutes. Um, let's take a quick break because I want to talk about KD really quick. Let's talk about our old friend Stamps.com. No one really has time to go to the post office. You're busy. That's why you need stamps.com. They bring all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices and online seller shipping out products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox with stamps.com. You get five cents off your first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, 
It's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BS. Stamps.com, enter BS. Fun to have those guys back there, an OG sponsor, Kyle. All right, I want to talk about uh, Kevin Durant and just some of the stuff that happened since we did the podcast on Monday night. We're going to talk about it with Rosillo next week, and I'm sure other guests I have. It was a classic modern-day news cycle where this terrible injury happens. Everybody's digesting it and coming up with whatever their angle is. Um, And at some point, the blame game starts. We did a little bit of it on the podcast on Monday night. I didn't understand how he went from being a scratch three days before to no minutes limit and him playing 12 or 14 and a half minutes in in game five. It just... I, I just don't, I still don't understand. I'm never going to understand it. I, I don't know why they didn't ease him in. You have to win all three games to win the title. I don't understand why they didn't play him, you know, five or six minutes a quarter and just try to take it a little easy and ease him back when you knew you needed him for two more games. Bizarre. So there's been a lot of, a lot of blame with the Warriors. People made fun of that Bob Myers press conference, all that stuff. And, I didn't love how people were missing, it seemed like, two distinct points that I found hard to believe. One is that Kevin Durant is a 30-year-old man who's perfectly capable of deciding what he wants to do and whether he wants to come back on a basketball court. We saw it tonight. Clay would have come back. They basically had to physically throw him off the court and and uh, get him out of there because he didn't want to leave. So for us to talk about what an athlete should do when they're in that moment and they're competing and they're that close to winning a title and they they feel loyal to their teammates and you have adrenaline rushing, all that stuff. I think it's crazy for us to try to put ourselves in, in their shoes. KD wanted to play. Now, did they give him the wrong medical advice? That I don't know. I don't know what they told him. I don't know if they told him you can't make the calf worse. I don't know if they explained to him the uh, the risk of a calf could lead to an Achilles thing, whatever happened. I mean, there's been rumors going around that it was actually an Achilles injury all along and he made that worse. And, you know, this is turning into the JFK assassination. There's conspiracy theories all over the place. I don't know what to believe. All I know is Kevin Durant's a 30-year-old man. And I think it's insulting when when people just make it seem like the team bullied him into doing it or the media and all this stuff. It whole thing was annoying. And I can't, I was turning on the ESPN shows two days later and they're still doing it. I, I just didn't get it. I thought we should have actually spent more time talking about how close Toronto came in game five and all the mistakes they made. They, they got a pretty much of a free pass for the game five stuff. So that was one thing. The other thing was, you know, I, t- I talked to Jalen for a while, two days ago. We just, we hadn't talked in a while. We were just catching up all a bunch of stuff. We were talking about KD and playing with an injury where you're in front of 20,000 people. You haven't played in a month. You have all this adrenaline running through you. You're playing well. You made a couple threes. You're back. You're feeling good. You went from... You don't trust your body. You're bummed out. You can't help your team. So like you're actually playing pretty well and you're in the finals and you're trying to save it for your team and that, and you're starting to feel it and you start letting down those walls that you have about the injury. 
and and then you get hurt. And I I don't think we paid enough attention to the fact that he was hurt the whole time. And when you put an injured athlete in that situation with that much adrenaline, you know, the adrenaline can be good and it can be bad. It could be good because if you had a pulled hamstring or you, you know, you like what Kavan Looney had, where you have this injury that just really hurts and you can't make it worse, the adrenaline can drive you through it. But when you're in a situation like with, with the KD thing, the adrenaline makes you forget that you're hurt. And I think that's what happened. And it's just too bad. So the ramifications, you know, hey, we didn't talk about it that much on Monday night. And and I know we're going to talk about it more next week and it's going to be the dominant story of the summer. But um, the ramifications, one, what does this mean with the Warriors? So this is, this one caught my eye. Jay Williams was on first take um, Thursday and really, really killed Golden State for misdiagnosing Durant's injury and was saying how um, he knew for a fact that Durant was told he couldn't injure the Achilles at all. And he said how watching Durant go down got ignited and pissed him off and basically basically did a whole thing about um, how the organization, he thought that one of the reasons they pushed for this was because they were trying to get the most out of Durant before he left. It was it was pretty it was pretty pointed. Now here's why this matters. Jay Williams is the host of the boardroom with Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman on uh, ESPN Plus. Jay Williams is buddies with those guys, and for him to feel this strongly about it and feel the need to go out and say this stuff and make it seem like he has inside information on it, I'm taking it seriously because this is the equivalent of if something happened with me. And then Joe House went on Get Up and was like, here's the thing, the ESPN, here's what they did to Simmons and they lied to him here and and Joe House said all this stuff. You'd probably believe it because you know Joe House is my best friend from college. So I just thought that was a red flag and it made me think that this Warriors uh, Durant thing is not going to end well because people seem to think he's just going to, you know, he's going to be hurt anyway. He'll just rehab there. He'll grab the 31 million. Nobody's going to give it to him. I think that's insane. I actually think multiple teams will give it to him. It's a four-year deal. You you sign him um, and you throw away the first year. You know you know it's not going to matter. Let's say you sign him for, I don't know, four years, one, 170 max, whatever it is. You're the next. You do this. You're not good next year anyway. Now you actually have like a built-in tanking scenario again. You already have RJ Barrett. You're getting him with third pick. You can unleash him. I did this whole bit on uh, on NBA Desktop this week about uh, let let RJ Barrett cook. Let the Canadian chef make his Canadian bacon. Thing is that the Knicks, you know, you get to, they suck anyway. They've sucked for 20 years. They've never had a chance to sign a guy like this. Try, you'd have to go. They've stumbled into Patrick Ewing. They signed Allen Houston in 1996. They signed Amari Stoudemire. Like they've always had to either, in roundabout way, get a superstar or trade for a guy or whatever. Um, here's a chance to sign like one of the 15 best guys ever, and somebody that even when he comes back, he'll be he'll be 32. He's somebody that this is really the first terrible injury he's had. He had a knee injury in the uh, 13 or 14th season, came back from that, but he's been pretty durable. 
he's somebody whose game I think is going to age really well because he's just such a fantastic offensive player and with his size and all that stuff. And I look at it this way. This might be my only chance to ever get somebody like this from them. Because Davis is he, Rich Paul, he's going to the Lakers. That's just happening. That's it's he's gonna bully Davis to the Lakers and and make it happen. And nobody is gonna be able to stop it. The big casualty of this Durant injury was I think the Knicks actually would have had an outside chance to get him if Durant didn't get hurt. Because let's say Durant goes there, and then they make the Davis trade, and then all of a sudden you have something. But the, the word all week, and I, I got to say I was shocked by this, but it really does seem like it was going to be a Kyrie and KT to Brooklyn thing. That that did gain some steam. And Kyrie's going to Brooklyn. It really seems like that's in motion, just reading the tea leaves. He signs with Rock Nation. Rock Nation is run, the Rock Nation sports side is run by somebody whose twin brother runs the Nets. And uh, you can look up all that stuff. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not subtle. So... Kyrie's going there and then, you know, they clear out the second cap space cap space spot and maybe that was for KD. Now, if you're Brooklyn, I, I'm not sure you, you, I'm not sure you have to be desperate enough to do that with KD. I think the Knicks are actually desperate. And if I had the chance to get KD, I can bring him in, throw away a year and then really make that run in 2020. I would, I would think about it. I don't see a, a scenario where he goes back to Golden State. Now he might, I, he might surprise me. There's something, it could be a shocker, but I just don't see it. Especially like if you're Golden State, you have this possibility to contend next year too. You know, the league's wide open again. And now you're spending 31 million on a guy who's not going to play that. That seems crazy. The He could screw them by opting in and just getting the 31 million and re rehabbing on their dime and then trying to figure out what he's going to do a year from now. But if I was him, I would, I would be going for the max deal. And I do think there's teams out there that would give it to him. So it's a bummer because I really wanted him. I was psyched for him to go to the Knicks or the Nets or wherever. And just that would be that would be uh, his team. I do think the outpouring of affection from Thompson and Curry and all the stuff that happened on that end, maybe that opened the door slightly. But the Jay Williams thing, I'm telling you, that was a red flag to me that he went that hard. Um, on how the Warriors handled the situation. That is somebody who spends time with KD and Rich Kleiman, and that did not seem coincidental. So file that one away. Uh, we, we're we going to talk NBA next week. At, we had the, is the drafts next week? God, why do they do it this way? I barely have time to... Ugh. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of NBA stuff. We're going to be on call... If there's a Davis trade, we'll be ready. I'm in LA all week. Nephew Kyle is poised and ready to go. Yeah, I'm a scooter right away. Your scooter right away at all time or a car <laughs> ride or an Uber. Yeah. We're ready to go if there's an emergency trade. So if anything happens. And I know late Sunday night, we're going to tape a podcast. My dad's actually here, but uh, we're there's US Open. And uh, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes out after the finals. There's always some gossip and all that stuff. So we'll we'll be back Sunday night on this. Coming up, we're going to have Adam Scott, who is somebody that I've known forever and have I can't believe this is the first time he's been on the pod, but he's about to be on, and it's really fun. First, let's talk about Bud Light. It's summertime. That means it's time to get outside and enjoy the weather with some crisp, refreshing Bud Lights. Bud Light is the perfect summer lineup with Bud Light Lime and Bud Light Orange, both brewed with real citrus peels. 
New and just in time for summer. Bud Light lemon tea? Did you know about this, Kyle? <laughs> no. You like Bud Light and you like lemon tea. Lemon tea four times a day. There you go. Brewed with real lemon peels and tea leaves. It's the ideal drink for summer. Only here for a limited time. Get it before it's gone. And to really get you in the summer spirit, Bud Light has given everyone the chance to win the getaway of a lifetime. Win two tickets aboard a VIP cruise to the Bahamas this mm. summer. Featuring a live performance by Jake Owen and Tic Tac and Melatonin. No, I'm kidding. They're not ready. Ten years from now, they'll Sign be there. Uh, featuring live performance by Jake Owen. And of course, plenty of Bud Light. For a chance to win, simply post your Bud Light summertime photos using the hashtags. Hashtag real enough to get away and hashtag Bud Light contest on Facebook and Instagram. See BudLight.com slash real enough to get away for more details. All right, coming up, Adam Scott. Here he is. All right, Adam Scott is here. We're taping this end of May. Big Little Lies premieres on HBO in June. And it's pretty sad that this was the reason that after 12 years, you finally came on. I know. We've I don't know been, how this hasn't we've happened. We've been casually just sort of planning this, literally, yeah. since you started doing this. Which yeah. was, was that 12 years ago? Yeah. Fuck. I've known you since 03. I started working for Jimmy Kimmel Show. Yeah. Daniel Kellison, the executive producer, your then girlfriend was the lead assistant. That's right. And she had this boyfriend who was an actor. Yeah. And you would come to the green room and hang out. Yeah. And you were like, oh, that's Naomi's boyfriend. I would it's come to the show almost every night yeah. for free beer. <laughs> right. That was the best part of the show in year one. We had this oh, amazing it was, bar. It was incredible. And it was packed yeah. every night. Celebrities. Yeah. More celebrities than we actually had on the show somehow. Yeah. Celebrities would come to hang out there but they weren't willing to, right. <laughs> to go. And, and then we would sit have down. the second lead from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Exactly. But meanwhile, like, you know, some A-listers exactly. having a gin and tonic or yep. something. It yeah, was so really you were there fun. all the time. And then all of a sudden, I was like, hey, did you hear about Naomi's boyfriend? I'm like, what? He's in the new he got the new Leo movie. Oh yeah. You're like, what? Yeah, that's right. Adam? That's right. You got the aviator. And then that was it. Then you started getting roles and it was really remember, fun to watch it happen. Thanks. I remember when I got that role, um, uh, everyone at Kimmel, who I had gotten to know hanging out every night drinking beer, were that was like where all of the like joy and support of getting this part, this role where most of it came from yeah. was from all you guys like, hey, like it was like the Goodfellas when he gets out of jail, when right. the kid gets out of jail. <laughs> like everyone was so nice and so uh, effusive. It was really nice. And it that was, was a big deal though. That was like, Leo was at his all time, anytime he did a movie. Yeah, was a and huge, Martin Scorsese. More, and Scorsese yeah. and we'd heard about the movie and they'd yeah. been trying to make it for years. And, yeah. So yeah. I mean, even, you know, even though it was a small part, it was a huge deal for me. Um, but that was my first real like hands-on experience with the, the just the sort of love of, Jimmy's crew and his family. And it's just a really tight, uh, tight knit group of, of lovely people. I really want to do a narrative podcast about year one of Kimmel's show oh and he'll God. never let it happen. But I really think it would be, why, everybody's why got not? 20 stories. Why? Like the first night when the girl puked in the audience? Yeah. In front of Bob Iger. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. You just put it all down. But and that I, I don't was, think he'll ever allow Because it, it, night one, the audience had an open bar. Yeah. That was part of the conceit of the show. Yeah. 
is the audience we want like a really lively audience. We're gonna have them drink. They get there early, have yeah. some cocktails. Yeah. Didn't you work. have to find that woman who puked that yeah. first night and interview her. Well, da- Daniel still <laughs> blames her because she sure didn't Daniel puke. Does. If she didn't puke, it would have been fine. We would have, it would have been awesome. But that it was sounds like, well, like that's the also name, why that sounds like the name of Daniel's autobiography. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if she didn't puke, it would have been fine. <laughs> Oh man, I remember thinking at the time, this seems dangerous, but I kind of like right. it, but not really understanding all the uh, but also repercussions. Like, I wonder why no one's done this before. Yeah, right, true. <laughs> like, why hasn't anyone just fed alcohol to their uh, studio audience? It's funny, I was just thinking about it because we have this bug flying around attacking us. Uh, Jimmy just re-signed for three years, and yeah. he's actually going to be on for 20 years. And I, and, you know, I always think about that Fuck. first year. Wow. And was that 17 years ago that yeah, that happened? it was January 2003. Wow. Yeah. So what you just said was a lot of the issue early on was we were trying a lot of stuff that nobody had tried before, but there's a reason people don't try stuff on, you know, yeah. you can't get in too innovative at 1130 because yeah. everybody's just used to a certain kind of show. Yeah. And, you know, eventually and you kind of settle into what you are. Jimmy didn't come out for a monologue. He didn't wear a tie. Guest host. Yeah. And, you know, cut to a couple of years later, he has a tie and he's doing- The tie was a big concession. Yeah. Like there's there's certain things. I I loved the early show for all of those reasons. Me too. And I love the the show now. I think the, they've, the, um, the show is as strong as it's ever been. But the chaos of those early couple of years was really fun. And, you know, Bill Carter was around. Yeah. Um, and so there was this excitement to it because uh, you you felt like something was happening. And the fact that Bill Carter was a fly on the wall, you were like, oh, my God, this is the beginning of. And for me, and I'm sure you, you know, loving the late night culture and having read Bill Carter's books and the HBO movie yeah. and, and being such a Letterman fanatic since I was like 12 and knowing Jimmy was kind of continuing in the Letterman tradition. And it was just an exciting thing to be on a fly on the wall for, or a fly that, with a beer on the wall. That's how I felt. I, I really thought some of the stuff that happened that first like four or five months was great. Yeah, And I would love oh, to, totally. unfortunately, not a lot of it's on YouTube, but uh, just a guest house every week and how yeah, different each one was. Yeah, that was really was. fun. And, like um, Snoop Dogg would be there all week. <laughs> right. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. There were some really weird ones. What were some of the other ones? Well, the, my favorite week was Jeff Ross because we just Jeff tortured Ross. him the whole week. That was but Yeah, great. there were some weird ones. Like Lewinsky was, was, she was a guest host one week and um, there were some that weren't great. We had some magician. I think that, I remember that. Or there was a psychic. That one went badly. He was going to go through the old Hollywood studio and find where the ghosts were. He was there all week or he was just- He a, was there. I think his name was John Edward. And then- Oh, John Edward. He showed up and couldn't find any ghosts at all. And <laughs> Jesus. It was, it's like, come on, it's <laughs> fake anyway. Just pretend there's some ghosts here. Right. Yeah. Just like make one up yeah. in the elevator. You make it all up. Come yeah. on. So you were here. You were part of this whole group- yeah. And then a lot of those guys, you know, like John Hamm was another one who was kind yeah. of lingering around. Yeah, yeah. And his girlfriend dated Hench's future wife and 
everybody kind of knew each other, but John Hamm was like the guy, what show was he on, Sisters? He was a long, at the time of, of Kimmel, uh, he was on um, or Providence? The District. The District. It was like a lifetime cop show. Yeah. He was on with like Bonnie Bedelia and uh, Tajari B. Henson was also on that wow. show. Loaded yeah. show. Bring it back. Yeah. 20 years later. The so division. you guys all, you we had this whole little crew. Division. Yeah. So we would just be there hanging out uh, all the time. It was really fun. And, you know, there's musical acts. You get to come and see awesome musical acts. Uh, you grew up here though, right? You grew up in LA? I grew No, I grew up in Santa Cruz up in Northern California. Went to college here? I went to, Anything yeah, here? sort of. I went to acting school in Pasadena. Acting school. Would yeah. you do that again? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I was 18. Yeah. So anything was amazing. Just moving down here and starting acting school was just a seismic shift in my life. And so, um, it was formative and it was, it was just a two year school and I loved it because finally school for me was about everything I was interested in. Um, when, when did you start doing the improv stuff? Oh, I didn't start doing any comedy stuff till like uh, like 15 years into my career or career in quotes because I didn't really have a career up until I did kind of just fell into comedy. That's yeah. kind of where a career sort of pieced together for me. Um, up until then, I was you know, piecemealing guest spots and like the odd great role in a, in a, in a small role in a great movie, like, um, aviator and stuff yeah. like that. But it wasn't until like stepbrothers that, and party down that I sort of, uh, a, something tangible started. So you'd done no comedy until then really? No, I'm no, I, I, I was like a dramatic actor for the most part. I mean, I grew up being a comedy per like a comedy nerd, nerd yeah, like yeah. into SNL and, you know, three amigos and stuff. That's all I was in my, you know, friends and I were, that's all we would do. Monty Python, all that stuff, like any kid. Um, but, but I fancied myself a serious actor in theater school and all of that. Um, and then, uh, and then it wasn't until later on. Yeah. That it all sort of snowballed into something else. That sounds like John C. Riley. Cause he was on here. I think in November, it was kind uh -huh. of the same thing. Like serious actor who kind of liked comedy, but then was just good at comedy. And then yeah. all the people who made comedy just kept wanting to pull him into yeah. stuff, which seems like that's also what happened to you. Yeah. Um, did you see his movie, Sisters Brothers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, it's, on, it's on demand. It's on all those things. I think people, it didn't do well in the theaters, but I think people yeah. will eventually see it. I think it's going to be one of those. It's going to circle around. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's sort of, I mean, the stepbrothers thing was a fluke because someone had that role and they had to pull out for a, some other TV, for like a commitment. Yeah. And so they had to cast it quickly. And so they had these last minute auditions and I went in and just sort of had an idea of how to do this and just, it was, it was like, this will never, I'll never get this part. So I just went for it. And then before I knew it, I was auditioning again, this time with Will Ferrell. Yeah. And then I had the part and it was really 
crazy. It was really out of no. I mean, at the time I was working on this ultra uh, dramatic HBO show, Tell Me You Love Me. Do you remember that show? Oh, I wanted to talk about that oh, show. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. So I was <laughs> in one the, of my mom's was, favorite shows, just, just <laughs> so you can get a glimpse really? of how weird I am. Yeah. Um, I was between seasons on that, a second season, which ended up never happening. But I was going to say, it was yeah. it was a one and done. Yeah. It was it was a, a period for HBO. It was that, John in Cincinnati. There were a couple years there where they were kind of refinding themselves. It got, it got weird. Yeah. It was it was pre, um, it was like John in Cincinnati, Tell Me You Love Me, in therapy or in treatment, yeah. which in treatment was awesome. And John in Cincinnati had some cool stuff too. But it was just this kind of reaching period where they were redefining themselves. It got super adult and super weird for yeah. like two and a half, three years. Like both our show and in treatment were rooted in therapy sessions. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was sort of like- Nothing just, resonates with America like uh, yeah. like two therapy shows at the same time. Right. So anyway- A lot of prosthetic penises on that show. Yeah. I had a prosthetic penis. Because they, they, one of the big things that show- which I think is still on the HBO app and stuff. Yeah, it is. It was like these couples all dealing with their relationship through some sort of sex thing. That's right. And so, but they really wanted to make the sex scenes realistic and they looked really realistic. They but did. then it turned out it was like fake balls, fake dicks, all I, that stuff. Yeah. I, you know, you go back and I, a couple of years ago, I went back and looked at that show and um, it's really really good. Cynthia Moore, who created it. I thought it, that show was brilliant. excellent. Yes. But you go back and look at it now. And at the time, there was nothing like that. There was nothing 100% reality-based. There was no, um, um, there, there was, the tone was 100% reality. There were, there was no reaching towards uh, any uh, higher tone. Yes. Right? It was, this is what, 06, 07 range? This was 06. Yeah. Yeah. 06 was when we were shooting. It came out in 07. So, um, so, so, and the camera work was really, uh, it was documentary like, and, and you look at it now, no opening credits, which at the time had never really been done after the HBO logo, the show just started. Yeah. And it, the title didn't even come up till after the show, which now doesn't sound that special, but at the time it was this stark thing. Um, but you watch it now and, and you see it's, it's, it's it was maybe a year or two ahead of this particular style. It's really good. Well, it's really you talk about like from a rawness standpoint. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a trendsetter. I mean, even I remember Jane Alexander was the therapist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Jane Alexander, and she had a sex scene in it, and yeah. it was like, whoa! Even Jane Alexander is getting down on this. That was, it was just like a super raw show. It made yeah. sense. The older folks with like an explicit sex scene was really- Yeah, nobody had done that. No, that was really interesting. Um, that was one of those shows that if your relationship wasn't secure and you watched a whole season with whoever you were with, at some point you kind of look at each yeah. other and you're like, yeah. That was a tough yeah. one to watch tough. with your special person. <laughs> if you had a lot of shit going on with your special <laughs> yeah, person, no. it was a tough one. Yeah, no. Um. So yeah, was that so, good? Was that good that you were on that show for every? I mean, obviously from the chops and stuff. But did you worry like you were pigeonholed as like you're on this weird therapy sex show on HBO? You know, the, the concern was certainly there that there was this. There was like an explicit sex scene 
at least every other episode, if not every episode. Yeah. Not always for us because our Sonia Walgrew played my wife, who's incredible. Um, she and I, our relationship went through like a tough period. So for some of it, we're like just crying about our miscarriage and going to therapy. And then our marriage hits the rocks a little bit. So, but early on, yeah, it was a lot of sexing. So yeah, of course you have that concern, but I had faith in what Cynthia was doing, which was really unique and special. And her writing was incredible. Yeah. Um, so what was that? What was that like? Were you married at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I ever talked to you about this. We what was that just, like when, when you're in all the, like this crazy, super sexual show yeah. and you're w- with somebody that you're going to have like a family with? Yeah. Um, we had just been married uh, when when I got that. And I remember kind of like when we got the, you know, when you're about to do a show, they send you the the contract or whatever where they're specifying every little thing they want you to do. And there was a lot of stuff in the deal about um, kind of how explicit they wanted to to be with it, which is where we kind of specified like we'd rather go prosthetic than, you know, yeah. it, it got down to like that really nitty gritty stuff. And we were newly married and I, and I really thought this show was going to be something brand new that yeah. people have not seen before. But at the same time, I was also like, I need a, a job. Uh, I've never been a regular on a TV show before. Right. Um, you know, if it was, if it was feeling like, um, like a Cinemax, uh, what it was sexy after dark, what were those college co-ed, what were those shows? You know, those Cinemax shows from like the nineties, Yeah. (laughs) if it felt like that, no, of course. You're like a detective yeah, in Hawaii. <laughs> exactly. Um, a Hawaiian detective, but it was shot in Burbank. It's fine. Clearly. So there's only three play-by-play mates in this. It's fine. Um, I, I, I wanted to, I desperately wanted to be on a, a show and stuff. Um, and so I had to really kind of think, am I doing this just because I want a job or do I really think this is something uh, kind of revolutionary in its little way. And I, and I really, truly did. I had to really kind of think about it because, um, well, you found out you had a strong relationship. Yeah. Oh, she, Naomi you and found out. Yeah. Naomi and Sonia became really good friends she, and they still are. Do you guys have input on like the prosthetic balls or anything? Like, <laughs> like color? Like, Hey, that color is too light. I don't remember having any <laughs> say, but I do remember, you know, there was a scene where I had the prosthetic on and there was a, um, it was uh, hooked up to a, a a hose that went through the couch I was sitting on um, and there was a, a prop guy behind the couch with a pump and it, and it shot hair conditioner out. What? Uh, I don't remember yeah. this. Yeah, this was, I think this was the first episode, episode one. Oh my God. Um, and the scene that it's for is Sonia giving me a hand job because she's obsessed with pregnancy and she gives me a hand job and then has the, the, uh, the, sp- the, the cum the in sperm. her, in her hand. And she's just ends up just like looking at the properties of it in her hand. And like, it's, it's, it's like clinical, like she's just so obsessed with getting pregnant. So 
the the end of that scene, the the kind of end point for why we were hooking this silly thing up and was really interesting. Yeah. It wasn't just a, like to have a cum shot in the show. It was so we could end on this point with this woman, just like this mysterious fluid. I, I, I just, I need this baby. It was a really interesting kind of end. To, that's why all that stuff was totally, I, I wasn't, I didn't feel weird about any of it because the, because it's smart. The main objective of it was an interesting. I remember that made endpoint. Entertainment Weekly's top fifty cum scenes when they had that issue. <laughs> yeah, they have that issue. It was like every I think it was eighteenth, and I, I'm always like, God, what can I do to get? Back How do we on get that higher? List? I gotta get up back on that list. <laughs> so you do that show, and yeah. then all of a sudden, two years later, you're doing comedy with Will Ferrell yeah, and John yeah. C. Riley, and, and we did. We've done some. St we last year we did some stepbrother stuff because it was ten year anniversary. We did oh, like yeah. a rewatchables podcast. We did oral history. I'm stunned by the legs that movie has. Yeah, it, it has become now kind of one of the OG comedies that yeah. people just mention. It gets passed down to new generations. It's on TV all the time. It's awesome. Shows right? no sign of ending either. I I I love. I'm. It's the kind of movie that if I wasn't in it, I would. I would be, see it so over and over again. It's, you know, it's one of those. Um, I remember when the, the Tell Me You Love Me got canceled the weekend the Step Brothers came out. Like we were about to start shooting second season. Yeah. And Step Brothers came out and that got canceled like the next day. And it was sort of like a sign like, oh, maybe I should take advantage of this. And, yeah. And it was so fun to work with those guys. Maybe I can keep doing that sort of thing because that was a real that was a blast and then you get party down which yeah. is like the ultimate people either loved loved it or yeah. didn't know about it yeah 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 which is, which is a lot of people sweet still spot. kind of don't know about it but the 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 thing that, that's kind of special that people that do kind of feel ownership over it because yeah. it's not some You're like a little thing. indie band or yeah, something. yeah 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 that was that was great. Yeah, so that happened. That was two seasons, right? Yeah, we did two seasons. Um, so there's 20 of them out there, which isn't a small amount. I, if, well, I guess if it is. Twitter was the way it is now, I think that show keeps going because I think yeah. there would have been a mob mentality with keeping it alive. Yeah. And it just would have kept going. Almost like what happened with Brooklyn 999 with yeah. uh, when it got canceled, everybody yeah. lost their shit and all yeah. of a sudden somebody else is picking it up. But at the time, you know, our what ended up being the series finale it was on stars and people didn't really know about it. the series finale had 13,000 viewers. So it was not when it was on, it was not a, even like a, an indie hit. It was just a thing that was on that no one knew about. It was after when it went up on Hulu and Netflix that people really started kind of. Well, I still, to it. I still felt like when it was on, and maybe just because I live out here, it was definitely kind of a thing. Like people knew, yeah. But people I think in maybe town it was probably like it. LA and New York, and that's yeah, it. Probably. Like if you're in Kansas City, yeah. Um, I remember there was a there's so the concept of that show for people who never saw it, you guys were a catering company, yeah, just going to these different. So each episode was basically you went here, you went there, mm -hmm. and stuff happened. And one each of, episode's what, a different party, yeah. One of them was a porn party. That's right. And it's like one of the funniest half hours of the last 15 years. Oh, good. That Thanks. was my personal favorite. Oh, good. It was just so fucking funny. 
Yeah. What was that guy's name? Ken Marino? Ken Marino. Yeah, because he's, he's Ron, like dials it up in that one. Ron Donald uh, ends <laughs> up having a giant dick, of course. The, the porn producers at this party were like, okay, come here. Listen, we need to talk. Yeah, we and, did, they're recruiting him. Yeah. He's like LeBron as mm -hmm. a free agent. Exactly. That was great. So that so now that has a second life because of the streaming, I guess. That's where people discovered it and, and would love to try and figure out a way to get everyone back together and do do more of them maybe sometime down the road. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But um, everyone's on that show is so great. And everyone's, it was, it was so fun. It was really fun because not being discovered, having no one really knowing about the show, by and large, no one really knowing about the show was part of what made making it so special is yeah. that we just felt like we were doing this for ourselves and we were having more fun than anyone in the world. And this was, we're making the best show. We don't care if anyone, so it was like this kind of like we were a street gang or something. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really fun. Um, Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah, Lizzie can breaking uh, out of her mean girls because she was the uh Janice yeah, and mean, mean girls character mean, mean with girls. the goth and yeah it's like oh i have this whole other side um you had a couple shows that the streaming really gave it a second i mean parks and rec and good yeah. place were popular anyway but i yeah. think the streaming for sure i know has i know i saw with my daughter like she banged yeah. out every good place and you know like yeah. five days yeah because that's, that's where my kids watch it too it's all 22 minutes goes to the next one yeah bang out three in an hour yep we were just watching we've been watching key and peel with our kids oh really just sit down and watch like six of them that's so fun we watched this weekend we watched nine episodes of all american oh yeah on netflix my it's a cw show is it good my son oh, likes yeah. it yeah yeah it's good right? it was great it's got like a little oc it's got a little one tree hill yeah. it's got a little white shadow it's got all these different Friday Night Lights, all these different shows that I've liked, little pieces of oh, it. Oh, that's cool. It's good. It's in. I mean, it's if you live in LA too, it's a good one. Cause oh yeah, they, I should I should watch that with him. I, he he's really because my son's really into football, so he kind of. How old are your that. kids now? Uh, my son is twelve and and daughter is ten. Oh, so you're at the age now where they're watching your stuff. Yeah, yeah. They haven't watched Parks and Rec yet solely because I'm on it. They really? just figure like, why watch that? <laughs> but they love like The Office and uh, Good Place and- Oh, The Office stuff. is another, I mean- Yeah. It's streaming with that one. So fun. I feel like The Office is is going to be potentially eternal, at least yeah. for the next like 30, 35 for years sure. of- For sure. Because the syndication, it seems like it's slowly drifting into that Seinfeld spot of- Yeah. You're just flicking channels and it's, it's always on five on. channels. Yeah. And then yeah. it's always on one of these streaming services, and I'm sure eventually one of the streaming services will just, they're all going to like carve out their own content and launch their own things. And well, I heard that that that, that it's not going to be on Netflix much longer. It, it shouldn't because be. Because it's been so huge on there, they're moving it to the, to the universal streaming. Isn't that what they're doing? Yeah. That's what I heard anyway. I That's know. what's going to happen. Yeah. All these places are going to realize, don't give Netflix yep. our IP. I guess so. I guess that's- We did that. when They bought 30 for 30 from us. I don't know, like 2012. On we, Netflix? 
Yeah, and we thought it was great because we'd already done the episodes. They're like, oh, cool. They're giving us more money for things we already did? Yeah. Great. And then not realizing that Netflix was this evil genius that's- so snapping they, up all this IP. Do they have it forever? No, they just had it for like two, three years. Oh, but okay. that's from like 13 to 15. That's how they basically built their business. They were yep. paying all these people for things. They're like, really? You're, you're sure. giving me a check for that? Great. Yeah. And then they get a whole business out wow. of it. Pretty smart. So smart. So which which show do people mention to you the most? Uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah? Yeah, for sure. Let's take a quick break to talk about Big Little Live. Our Twitter post-game show for Big Little Lies. Watch it on HBO. It ends. Go to Twitter. Go to at Ringer or go to hashtag Big Little Live and watch the show with Amanda Dobbins and Mina Kimes from ESPN. The show is presented by Buick. We have a beautiful Buick that I think we're actually doing a segment in. It's going to be really fun. Uh, I am in the third episode. I've been booked to talk about parenting, apparently. I'm having a good parenting run this year. It's, I'm getting kudos for uh, skipping a, a clinching final to go to my daughter's graduation. I'm booked on Big Little Live. It's really uh, turning around for me. So uh, check that out. And then also Bachelor Party, our podcast hosted by Juliet Littman. If you don't subscribe to that and you love The Bachelor, we are all over that one. Uh, Monday nights, it goes up right after the show ends. So those are our two re- uh, TV recap stuff for The Ringer. Dot com. Check out all of our podcasts, the Ringer Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, including the rewatchables where we did Dead Poets Society this week. And that was super fun. Neil. Uh, anyway, back to Adam Scott. Tell me about Big Little S. Um, the, uh, yeah, season two is real. I, have, I haven't, uh, I, I'm going to watch it along with everyone else. I have, even though I know all everything that happens, I haven't seen the finished episodes yet. But um, but I'm really excited. Season two is really juicy. Meryl Streep is in it now. I've heard of her? Yeah, she's uh, she's a good kid. You know, I think she's going to do well. Yeah, we're all rooting for her. A lot of potential. A lot of potential. A lot of potential. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see how she does. You're married to Reese on that show, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I watched all of them, but I haven't seen them since yeah. I watched them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Reese is what? Not great. the most functional marriage. No. Um, the the marriage has its challenges. <laughs> um, but you know, I think also there's so much dysfunction um, on that show that. I, I always I, I'm always hoping for at least one of those relationships to to pull through to make it. Yeah, but you know who knows which one that's going to be. But uh, yeah, I, the season two is going to be really really fun for everyone. That I'm excited. It's the back. First one. Yeah, we're doing a whole Twitter post game show for it. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, it was just I love those seven episode shows. Yeah. The, what this about new Game model. of Thrones? Were you did you wish this last season was longer? Or yeah. were you not a Game of Thrones watcher? Oh, I was a Game of Thrones okay. watcher. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we we milked it for all the content possible. Okay. Okay. Here at the ringer. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. The watch. We did. Yeah, the watch we did is all, great. We Actually, had, we had binge mode. We did the post game show. Yeah. We did a whole bunch of stuff. On the way here, I was hitting refresh on my um, uh, podcast app, waiting okay. for the new yeah, ringer. The new it, yeah. With Andy Greenwald 
I, I've got to know what they thought about last night. Well, now Andy's a showrunner. You got to. You I may, know, but you is might he going to be acting for him at some point in your life? Is he going to be doing the the po- the finale, the post finale kind of yes. commentary today? Yes. Okay. Good. I think so. I hope so. Good. At some point, he'll do it if it's not today. Yeah. Yeah. The. Uh, you know, it's weird. Obviously, the internet now exists just to get mad about everything, and people felt such ownership about the show. Oh, they, I thought. Honestly, I thought. That was ridiculous, but go ahead. No, so, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I like, I don't know what people kind of want. It's never going to be perfect. Um, I think the one fair criticism is just like it, because I watched the first, four, like, I think four seasons recently trying to get remember yeah. whoever. Sure. It's been so long. And the show had a certain pace to it and it was really deliberate. Yeah. And then when something big happened, it felt momentous. Yeah. And I think over these last two years, because they were on this race to finish it, the pace was off a little bit where it, you yeah, know, the it was pace more was big, increased. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish there had just been more episodes so they could have kept the same kind yeah. of pace. I still think it's an incredible television show. I thought last week's, the second to last episode, I thought that was incredible. I couldn't believe that people were mad me, about it after. Me too. Like, Those were the best 80 minutes I've ever seen Here, in my life. Here's my, my biggest problem with the uproar uh, from the penultimate episode, which was, Danny's turn was it's not like it they hadn't led breadcrumbs to it first of yeah. all there she had had some homicidal tendencies throughout the years and Tyrion had kind of been pulling her back as well as uh Varys um and ta- talking her back from the ledge a couple times but she also had this inherent goodness to her but things were shaky with her but the big turn had to be shocking and had to be sudden. Otherwise, Tyrion and Jon Snow would have stopped her because they were getting sure. warnings from everywhere and they were just like, no, she, it's, it's okay. Like they were hesitant and a little freaked out that day that things could go bad, but they, in their heart of hearts, thought she was going to do the right thing. If it was clear that she was gonna, that she was taking a an evil turn, they wouldn't have let it happen. So if it was crystal clear and we, we there was a perfect roadmap up to that turn, we would have had a huge problem with Jon Snow and Tyrion as characters for not stopping it. Does that make sense? I'm with you, and I also feel like. Like she, she did have stuff happen to her that made it likely yeah. that she was going to snap, you know, yeah. like she lost a dragon. Yeah. She found out that the guy she thought she was going to marry was like her nephew. Yeah. That's a problem. That's a problem. Um, her best friend was beheaded right in front of her. That's at, a problem. As, and she couldn't trust anyone around her. She knew that eventually Jon Snow was more likely to get the throne than her because of the way everyone responded around yeah. her. And she kind of lost her shit. I, I actually see, thought it was realistic. Yeah, she could see that people just inherently loved him. Yeah. And she decided, she says, I need to rule with fear. Um, also, are we really going to nitpick with the intentions and motivations of somebody who can walk through fire and yeah. gave birth to three dragons? That's the thing. When, that is a, people always took this show so seriously, and I yeah. never really understood it. They're like, oh the way the show treats women. It's like, they treat everyone horribly. Yeah, everyone Every gets sliced is, and diced. Yeah, 
What are you talking about? You know, I I mean, I quibbles here and there is fine because you're going to have that with anything. But uh, some of the uproar I saw, like David and Dan, we want to remake the season. Like it's insane. Remake the season with new. Did you see new that? Show, they, yeah, there new showrunners. I mean, that is bonkers. Like if you're watching television and something is different than the specific thing you had in your head, and that upset, like that's. So that's why I think Breaking Bad was like the only one people were truly happy with at the yeah. end. Because they, so. they knew the whole time how it was going to end. Yeah. Once you don't know how something's going to end, yeah, you want it to end the right. way you want it. So think about it. Like, I, people were so pissed off at Seinfeld. Yeah. I had, I think five years ago, I had Larry David on my podcast yeah. when I was at ESPN. And we talked about the Seinfeld thing for like, 10 minutes and he hadn't really talked about it, but he's kind of pissed off about that. People were, As that took it so personally. Out. Yeah. It's They're so like, weird. It's the last show. It's fine. Yeah. we ha It has to end somehow. Yeah. It's can't end the way. Per so you have that, the Sopranos that made people crazy. Yeah. Lost made people crazy. Yeah. It's, it's basically every show except Breaking Bad made everybody crazy. It's a, it's a losing battle no matter what you do, I guess. Uh, which is a testament to how good your show is that people care that much ultimately. Yeah. And I get having a huge investment in something. I mean, Phantom Menace broke my heart. So there, right. there you go. I, I get it too. I, so, you know, I totally get it. I guess with Game of Thrones, I just didn't see the, the, the pro the, the huge problem. I thought it was, effectively carried out the like you said the pace was accelerated the last two seasons um but once you accept that and go on that ride with them um it's great it just For needed me. it needed like 10 more scenes of characters hanging out with with nuance that it just didn't seem like it had the time to do yeah i mean it used to be the journey from winterfell to king's landing would take an entire season or yeah. at least four or five episodes. And then in season seven, they were making the journey back and forth. You know, in one episode, they would just uh, arrive somewhere else. So they were just turning the, cranking the timeline up just so- it Sounds like you're mad you weren't cast on the show. <laughs> what, <laughs> no. what, job, what, what role would you have wanted? Oh my God. I, there, I, Littlefinger no, is the there, best role. There is not one role I could pull off in that show. Come Little, on, you could have been Littlefinger. Littlefinger was a great role. That guy was That's great. That's a good role. That's a good role. Oh my God, he was awesome. What Would you want fun. to be a eunuch or no? Oh yeah, well, I'm I'm essentially a eunuch in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so he was terrific too. Oh my God, what great acting on that show. It was, it was funny, we ended up with uh, Brand the Broken as our king yeah. and then Grey Worm the eunuch running the Unsullied. And yeah. It was really all hell broke loose. But so- was were the unsullied? They were leaving forever at the end, right? Never got a feel for the unsullied. Yeah, but last night. And was night, there a they sullied? Were... Was there a second like a yeah, rival? The sullied, the sullied. It's the inverse of the unsullied. Yeah. So the where unsullied, were they? does unsullied mean no genitalia? Is that what that means? Kyle, let's go with that. Okay, <laughs> Kyle's our Game of Thrones historian. Okay. Oh, are you, did you read all the books, Kyle? No, no. I just, we watched, I watched closer. Than he's he also my nephew, so we watched okay. all of them. So anytime my wife and I didn't understand what was going on, we would ask Kyle. Okay. And sometimes he would know. Okay. Other times, no. But at the end of last night's episode, they were all getting on ships to leave forever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where they were, were they going? They were going to, I believe, where Masande, his 
girl was from. I okay. Think they were gonna go like help him out. Like know? free everybody. Yeah, I think that was the move. Yeah. Um, Grey Worm. I I still think he kills Jon Snow at the end. Yeah. Maybe, th- or at least tries to maim him or something. <laughs> that was how, how. Okay. My big question was how long was the period of time from when he kills Danny to when they have the council. How long were they in prison? Well, on the show, it was like the next moment. <laughs> it was the next moment. Everybody knew about it. Apparently, it had been on the internet. In so the it had to be like a few months, right? right. Because yeah. because there was a, it was on Twitter. Obviously. I think we're supposed to tell the time by Tyrion's facial hair. The beards. <laughs> yeah. And then See, he got it nice and trimmed, so we knew some more right. time had passed. I thought it was like six months. My wife thought it was a few weeks. But they don't say, do they? Okay. I think if you're going to criticize them for anything, they kind of missed with Bran Stark, the actor, where, where he just, it's tough with the child actors. You just never know. But I, I, I just wanted more from Bran Stark. I don't yeah. think the stare off into the distance can be your only move with, yeah. with that role. But once you're the three-eyed Raven, Raven maybe that's all. Was Max von Sydow doing more than staring off into uh, when he was, before he died? <laughs> Was that kind of his Maybe thing? Studying Max von Sydow. Yeah. What, why did it get so dark all of a sudden? What just happened? Are we getting invaded? We're, there's a dragon that flew Jesus. in front of the sun. <laughs> that last dragon came back. Um. So you got big little eyes. What's next for you? You know, I have a show that I'm really excited about, um, but we haven't completely dotted the I's and crossed the T's. So okay. I can't, which is so stupid and pretentious sounding but i can't say anything about it yet but i'm excited to uh to 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 do so when i can but um but that's i'm gonna start that soon cool yeah um i think we hit everything yeah i'm sorry i can't talk about sports really other than i I wasn't expecting no i know i know i i just i i know when you guys can't talk about sports there's no better person to talk about it with than you so i I wish i had more more uh no i knew the sports thing wasn't going to be there oh i forgot to ask you i had two more questions oh by the way the the when we were talking about meryl streep and making jokes about her being a, a young upstart uh she is both incredible and the coolest i don't i didn't want to leave it on a sarcastic note she is uh, so, so cool. And, and, uh, and as incredible as you would hope. Yeah. I forgot so. to ask you, cause you've worked with a lot of interesting people. So I thought, say the name, one thing you learned from them. We'll start with oh my God. Leo from their process, um, or their general state of being what one thing you learned from Leo from him. And this was a while ago now, but, um, just focus and just always where I was just impressed with his, with how hard that guy was working. Like locked Um, in constantly. Yeah. And not like he's in character all the time or anything like that, but just, um, just working his ass off. How about Scorsese? Uh, just so collaborative. Um, just always interested in what any everyone's bringing to the table. Like there are li- a couple, there are lines in in um, in Aviator that uh, 
that that I not improvised as like improvised like early on like words I would find in like an old 1920s slang dictionary and bring it and he's like that's great yeah and so it's in the aviator you know yeah um and everyone is like that everyone's welcome to bring their own thing to the table and that's why he gets such wonderful performances is he's letting everyone just sort of grow on camera like just like include and be alive on uh, while it's happening it's really a great thing to be a part of but also really fun to watch him with actors and he's and mckay's like that too right yes yeah totally. that's like his calling card yeah just whatever you got bring it and we'll try it all that that's what with mckay is what i really learned and scorsese too um was just try it all and if it's not working just, just don't use it like yeah. who cares like the the preciousness is gone just give it a shot what about Farrell? i didn't learn anything from him <laughs> <laughs> um same thing he and mckay was kind of uh of of one there they're really lovely sweet guys and i didn't know what the hell i was doing i had never improvised before so i was really lost to see they were very generous to me in the cutting room on that movie uh for sure um but uh but l when i came out the other side of that movie i felt like i had learned a lot and by the time it ended i felt like i had i could at least um uh improvise and 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 i kind of understood what they were doing but for a lot of it i was i was uh i, I they were i was kind of in over my head but you know i think you they know, love that though they, they love that? Yeah, that's what I think when we did the oral history, they were talking about how they threw you into this tornado. And yeah. They were kind of enjoyed how you were, yeah, you know, like the rookie in this whole thing, just yeah. kind of coming up with things that they wouldn't have thought of. Man, it, it was it was really fun. It was quite an experience and, and really, really fun. What about Polar? Uh, she's just the best, just the most generous uh and every time we had so many scenes together over the years and every time we did, um, it was always special. There was always just a, a, I never took it for granted. And I know she didn't with that whole show. She was, she was always so engaged and, and interested in everything that again, that everyone was bringing to it and gave everyone room. Like, the most generous scene partner and kind of you know she's a leader of the cr crew of actors there and really important to her that everyone has room to shine and yeah and do their thing which is uh which is not as common as you would think you know she's she was she's a really great person and and clearly a great actress as well how about make sure Again, nothing. I have nothing to say. <laughs> uh, uh, Mike's a brilliant person and and a a, a great guy. Um, and so you know, hell of fun. a travel baseball parent. He run, He's the guy that runs the box score thing for our little app. We our he sons does? are on the same team. Yeah, he's putting in like strike balls outs. That makes that, walking around with it with his hat on like. Inputting stuff, surprise yeah. me at all. Really into it. I half his tweets I don't understand because it's just baseball stats. 
I think Joe Mandy <laughs> tweets back, I don't care. Otherwise, <laughs> I would. Uh, Reese Witherspoon. Uh, so fun and uh, just an impressive person. Put together. She is another so, one who I think is going to make it. Yeah, I think she might. I think she might do all right. And yeah. I'm, I'm again, I'm pulling for her. Yeah, me too. Uh, she's a, a really smart, impressive person, and what an incredible actor too. Good lord, is it when somebody's involved with running a show, but they're also acting on the show? What's yeah. the balance with that? Um, you know, I think that there's. There's a there's a way to do it that's that you watch someone like Polar or you watch Reese um, that's just graceful and you just it's just I've, you know you're when you're acting you're just focused on that right um, but in it's between like two takes, people yeah and when in between takes you can be thinking about you know what it is you want to tweak and um, especially if you're directing at the same time it's it's not that hard it just depends on if you have the mind for it or not yeah yeah the other one I, question i forgot to ask you was it is hard i'm just they make it look easy i guess is what yeah, i would imagine it's hard yeah. um was there one part that you were like oh man that part oh yeah god so many if only that one i've oh my god i mean i auditioned for all the scream movies did you really? Oh yeah, I know what you did last summer. I was here for all of that. Oh yeah, because you were in, weren't you in Party of Five? I was, yeah. I was on Party of Five. I love that show. Yeah. Well, who were you in Party of Five? I don't I remember. Was, um, it, I was just you on didn't, for You didn't convince Bailey to start drinking, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he had an alcohol thing, right? It's tough, man. Oh, tough God. intervention in that show. They were all nice. Those, those Scott Wolf and all of them, they yeah. were so kind. I, I was only on for like half a season or something. Uh, I actually, I feel like I got sort of fired. They just stopped, really? they just stopped using me because I remember we were on a location in San Francisco and Nev Campbell and I had a scene where we're walking across the street and a cable car kind of goes by right behind us. So that it's a big expensive shot and they were on a crane and stuff. And I kept forgetting my line. So they kept having to back the cable car up and do it over and oh, over. Oh, Jesus. And now being older and having produced and stuff, I know like, well, we can't keep using this guy if he's gonna not be able to remember lines when we have a cable car going. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that was yeah. So I yeah. So I was I've been ar around since all that stuff. So I mean, I auditioned for all that. Did you ever shit. do a cup of coffee on nine hundred two one zero or no? I did audition for 90210 did for he? a guest spot once. Jason wow. Priestley was directing, and I remember oh, he, what a director. he was directing me in the audition. And then I so did not Scorsese get the role. and Priestley. Yep. Priestley rejected me. Scorsese hired me. Wow, so you're really out here hitting all the all the staples. Dawson's yeah. Creek? No. One Tree Hill? No. No. Didn't Melrose? audition for those. Melrose Place, I think, was done by the time I got uh, here. That's too bad. Yeah, I know. That's a real bummer. <laughs> <laughs> could have been like a, like a bar back at the Fuck. bar. I could have done so much with God one of those it. roles. Shit. It have been great. <laughs> but then back then, like not getting the role on 90210 or whatever guest spot it was, was such a bummer. But 
You we know. talk. Ham's been on this podcast a bunch of times, and we always end up talking about that mid, that ninety six to two thousand. Yeah, we just had all these young people out here. Yeah, you know ge the Generation X. Yeah, people. What are you gonna do? I don't know. You move to Hollywood because yeah. that's other people have done that, and yeah. then you're out here, you're like, and you're just kind of fighting. You're running into the same people at every audition at every yeah. bar. Fascinating times. Now yeah. I think the internet's probably made it a lot easier to get discovered and or well, at least yeah. kind of know where to go and what to do. You can make your own stuff now. Yeah. You with the when I was starting like if you wanted to make your own movie, you had to somehow get all this equipment, right? Like cameras make and it do with your film iPhone and shit. Yeah. You can make a great looking movie on your on your phone. And if it's good, then people will We'll pay attention to it. I, I, we had Steven Soderbergh when at Sundance. We did a pod with him. He's really interesting. Yeah, we were just talking about this next generation of whoever. Yeah. Now that the equipment is so cheap and so easy, like what's going to happen? Like my daughter, my daughter's fourteen. She has friends who like make little mini movies already, yeah. but they can do it so easily and edit it. And well, of course, uh, Soderbergh made his last movie on the iPhone. right. That's how we were talking about yeah. it. Yeah, and I was like, you think you're going to inspire people to make movies on iPhones? Like I don't know, but I mean, the way they did it, they you know they had these. He, he's the best person who's going to yeah. make a movie on an iPhone. But it's still like other people could do versions well, of that. Well, he used that incredible lens. That yeah. I don't know what what lens he attached to his phone, but that movie, High Flying Birds, there's was, that was one cool. lens. Oh, it was great. I like that movie. Did you see The Nick? Did you watch The Nick? I never watched The Nick. We oh, had Chris dude, and Andy love that show. It's You got to watch the, you and your wife should sit down and watch those two seasons. Soderbergh directed all of them. Yeah. And it is unbelievable. It's the best show in the last few years. Wow. Oh, it's incredible. Interesting. Anyway. Better than Party Down? Well, yeah. It's kind of the Party Down of 19th century <laughs> hospital shows. <laughs> or 20. It's early 20th century. Early 20th century yeah, grizzly yeah. hospital shows. Yeah. yeah. That's right. right. I'll put it on my radar. Please uh, do. Adam Scott, great to do this finally. Thanks, Good luck Bill. with Big Little Eyes. Thanks Good luck for with everything. Me. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for coming you on. Too. All right. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Adam Scott. Congratulations to Canada. You did it. Congratulations to Maasai and Kauai and all the Raptors. Awesome title. Uh, thanks to The Zone. Don't forget about Bellator 222 live from MSG. All going down tonight on The Zone 10 ET 7 PT. We should be back Sunday night, U.S. Open stuff and, uh, and some basketball and a lot more. Until then. <laughs>